0: Welcome to our Bell Ministries podcast with Mark Whitehead. Today we're going to look at Numbers chapter 11. As we finished our last lesson together, we discussed that the people felt invincible with the Lord. Moses had this battle cry as we, as we finish looking at Numbers 10. Then suddenly there's this huge, huge turn of events in Numbers 11. Listen to Numbers 11, verse 1. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. It says that the people complained of adversity. That's New American Standard, or the NIV puts it this way, they complained about their hardship. I've mentioned this before, but you know, I completely understand where these people are coming from. You may read it and be confused. You may think, why would they be complaining? I mean, they've just witnessed God do so many things in their midst. I mean, He He delivered them from Egypt. Um, Moses glowed, and, and he 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 came down from from Mount Sinai, uh, from being in the presence of God just with this glory around him. Didn't they celebrate Passover together recently? I mean, how could they possibly? Complain so quickly. I want to invite you, come to Israel with me. Hike in some of these ancient roads. Feel the heat on your skin and watch your shoes deteriorate before your very eyes. Feel your mouth be so parched that you wonder, how can I keep going? Do all that. And then tell me that you wouldn't be in the exact Same position as these Israelites. I'm telling you, I would have probably complained too. Maybe you can relate on some level. I mean, personally, I've witnessed God do incredible things in my midst. Life gets hard right afterwards, and my first reaction is to complain. Well, maybe my first reaction should be to remember how God has always come through in the past and how he will always come through no matter what I'm going through. For the Israelites, complaining really seems to be one of their spiritual gifts. Back in Exodus 14, the people were leaving Egypt and they're approaching the Red Sea and the Egyptians were closing in. What did the Israelites do? They complained. Were there not enough graves in Egypt that we had to come out here and die? understand they came from Egypt where there were over a hundred pyramids at the time. What were those pyramids? They're graves. So it it was what Egypt was known for, were tombs. Now Moses is leading them out into the desert and the people are like, Moses, we could have stayed in Egypt and died where all those tombs were rather than come out here in the middle of nowhere. Then you get to Exodus 15. God had miraculously led them through the Red Sea, and the the Egyptians drowned. Three days later, what do the people do at Mara? They complain. What are we gonna drink? This water isn't any good. Then you get to Exodus 16. So three consecutive chapters, and they complain that there isn't anything to eat. God gives manna and quail in Exodus 16. We're going to come back to that little tidbit later. Now, let's get back to Numbers 11. What did God think about the complaining of his people? Well, our text says that his anger was kindled. I want you to imagine the scene, the fire that was in the sky, giving them the warmth and guiding them, all of a sudden begins to make its way down among the people. And the text says that it consumed those on the outskirts of camp. As we continue, we see that the people cry out to Moses and Moses Intercedes on their behalf. End of story. They learned their lesson, right? Wrong. Look at with me Numbers 11, verses four through six. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires, and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat uh, free in Egypt the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. The text says the people began to have greedy desires. The NIV says they began to crave other food. The King James says they yielded to intense craving. Well, the Hebrew word used is ta'avah, Ta'ava. It's the same word that we see way back in Genesis 3, 6. And that's where Eve saw the tree was good for food. And it was, it says, a delight to her eyes, a ta'avah to her eyes. It's a word used when somebody sees something that they desire because it's pleasant. And in scripture, it's often something that's sinful. So what was this greedy desire they had? They wanted meat to eat, not just manna. God, give us something better than just this manna. And did you catch how they talked about their time in Egypt? You would have thought that they were on a cruise to the Bahamas by the way, if you've ever been on cruises, doesn't it feel like you're just eating all the time? I know, I know, that's what it's been like when I've been on cruises. I feel like every time I turn around, it's time to eat. Anyway, uh, they were longing for the fish and the cucumbers and the melons and the onions, all these things that they had in Egypt. Instead, all God was giving them was manna. And I think we need to be careful here because it's so easy to think back on the good old days. The problem is that we often remember them differently than they actually happened. The Israelites didn't even think about all the hard times they had in Egypt. Their mind went straight to the food. And instead of being excited about where God was taking them, they were longing for the place in which God was bringing them. They took their eyes off where they were going, and they looked back at where they had been. And I don't know where you are in your journey right now. I mean, I know we could all look back at times in our lives and say, "Man, I'm I really missed the good old days." This past week, I thought about some of the amazing experiences I had in college, and I, I wouldn't trade those. For anything in the world, but that's not where God has me now. He doesn't want me dwelling on the place He had me 20 years ago. He wants me focused on what He has for me today. And He wants my eyes to be on where He's leading me, not where I've been. Maybe you're in a season in which you're longing for the good old days. Well, praise God for what he did in those days. Praise him for the sweet memories, but don't dwell there now. He has a promised land for you. He is leading you now. Trust him. Don't complain about the heat during the journey. Instead, praise him that he's with you in the journey. Let's keep going in the text because Moses hears all the complaining and he's not happy, happy. And Moses takes his unhappiness to God. Look at verse 11. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you been so hard on your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all this people on me? How frustrating must all of this have been for Moses? This man was the leader of the people and they didn't want to follow his lead. So essentially, Moses asked God, "What have I done that has made you do this to me, Lord? Aren't I serving you? Why are you being so hard on me? His emotion comes to a head when you get to verses fourteen and verses fifteen. "I alone am not able to carry all this people because it is too burdensome burdensome for me, Moses says in verse fifteen. So if you are going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. If I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. I can't bear the burden of all these people. Please just kill me now. Do you feel the frustration of Moses at that moment? God needed to come and step in. Pay close attention to the next two verses, verses 16 and 17. The Lord therefore said to Moses, gather for me 70 men from the elders of Israel whom you know to be the elders of the people and their officers and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. Then I will come down and speak with you there and I will take of the spirit who is upon you and will put him upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you will not bear it all alone. Many of you have probably been in some position of leadership at your life in your life sometime. Leadership is never easy. When you're, when you're in a leadership role, burdens will always follow, and they are heavy. I've said many times during this pandemic that we're going through right now in our world that I'm thankful that someone else has to make those major decisions. It's not an easy job. Somebody is going to be upset no matter what decision you make. And Moses feels the full weight of the burden of leading God's people. Moses needed help carrying this weight of the burden. It was too heavy for him to carry alone. So the text says God gave Moses 70 men to help. So let's, let's pause right here because there's, there's a couple points that I want you to understand about this. First, knowing burdens are heavy, we must constantly look to bear the burdens Our leaders. Let me ask you, what leaders has God placed in your life right now? And what are you doing to come alongside him or her to ease the burden that they're feeling as a leader? Every believer is called to do this. Listen to Galatians 6 2. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. As the body of Christ, it's time that we begin to ease the load on our brothers and sisters, not to make the load heavier. So often, we may come and complain and do this and do that and become a bigger part of the burden that our leaders feel rather than coming alongside them and say, let me take some of that burden off of you. How can I help? So are you looking to bear the burdens of the leaders God has given you? The second thing is this. Knowing burdens are heavy, we must allow others to bear burdens with us if we are going to be an effective leader. I think the best way to explain this is is just to give you an example. In two weeks, my wife Julie and I will be celebrating our 17th anniversary. I am so thankful for my wife. There is absolutely no way I could do the ministry that God has called me to do without her constant support and her constant help. King Edward VIII said it best. Here's what he said about his wife he said, I have found it impossible to carry the heavy load of responsibility and to discharge my duties as king as I would wish to do without the help and support of the woman I love. I couldn't do my job as king without my wife. See, when God designed Julie, He designed her to be a helper, a helper or helpmate, it says, Genesis 2.18. And that word specifically is for someone that um, helps in a specific situation. So God created Julie to come alongside me and walk with me through this life and bear the burdens of the ministry God gave me. That was the role he gave Julie when we we got married. She was my helpmate. And that's exactly what she does. She's my biggest supporter and she's the person I can come to if I'm going through a problem or a hard time and she can help lighten the burden. These helpers are important. People coming alongside you to help bear your burdens are important. As a leader, it is easy for me to not let others feel the weight of the burdens I'm feeling. I don't want them to know. There's something about pride that says, no, I got this. I'm a man. I can take care of this, right? I don't need somebody else's help. But just like Moses, I've got to be willing to share my burdens with others so that that load will be lightened. That's how God designed it. And God has created a community of believers to help ease the burden of leadership. But I've got to be willing to open up about those burdens and allow them to help. That's the job of a leader. So now God has promised helpers for Moses. What happens next in our text? Well, does, does God give the people the meat they're asking for? Yeah, absolutely, actually. Look at verses 18 to 21. Here's what it says. Say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, oh, that someone would give us meat to eat, for we were well off in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? The people were craving meat, not the Lord. So God gave them the desire. Of their heart, He gave them meat and not just a little meat. He, he gave them so much that they would become sick. See, the title of this podcast is, What Am I Craving? Psalm 34, seven says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Actually, I believe that Psalm 37, four. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, God gives us what we're craving. He gives us the desires of our heart. So we better be checking our desires. Am I desiring the Lord? If so, guess what he's going to give me? He's going to give me all of Him that I want. But what if I'm desiring something else? What if I'm desiring something other than Him? Well, God's a gentleman. He's not going to force me to desire Him. He's not going to force me to love Him. But here's the thing. What I look at is, hey, if I get this, it's going to be a blessing like the quail was to the Israelites, it's not going to turn out the way you expect. Am I seeking him and desiring him above everything else? Seek him. Delight in him. Live for him. Well, next in our text, Moses has absolutely no idea how God is going to give them all this meat. I mean, they're in the middle of, of a desert. There's not a lot of options for me. He, he reminds God that, hey, you know what? We're traveling here in the middle of the desert and uh, there's a lot of us here, like God didn't already know that. And so the 70 men get together, God speaks to them and, and he gives them the same Holy Spirit that Moses had. And there's a little detail in verse 26 that you need to see. In addition To these 72 men, or excuse me, these 70 men, there are two more that remained at camp and received the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26. But two men had remained in the camp, the name of one, Eldad, and the name of the other, Medad, and the Spirit rested upon them. And they were among those who had been registered but had not gone out to the tent, and they prophesied in the camp. So there were 70 men that went to the, the, the tent and got the Holy Spirit. And then we see there's two more out here that didn't go to the tent, but they also got the Holy Spirit. That makes 72 men. Fast forward with me to the New Testament. Jesus is sending out his disciples in pairs in Luke chapter 10, verse one. How many did he send out? 72. It's a clear reference back to Numbers 11, where the Holy Spirit... Fell on these men to do the mission of God. And all of a sudden in Luke 10, when Jesus is sending them out on a mission, it's a reminder to them, by the way, the Holy Spirit is with you. So how did God supply all this meat? In Numbers 11, 31 through 35, we see it. God used wind to bring quail from the sea. Um, now, where did the people go to get the quail? Look at verse 31. Now there went forth a wind from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on this side, a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, and about two cubits deep on the surface of the ground. They had to go to the perimeter of the camp, about a day's journey, to get the quail. Now, a moment ago, We discussed that these 70 men got together and the Lord spoke to them. Where did they go for that? In verse 24, you see that they went to the tent of meeting in the center of the camp. And I hope you get this imagery because it's not accidental. To receive the Holy Spirit, they went to the middle of camp, to the heart of God's people. And to go after the meat they desired, They had to go outside of camp, away from the people of God. As we're asking this question about what are we craving, understand that if the answer is anything but the Lord, we will be driven away from the Lord and away from his people. Story goes on that the quail fell about a day's journey around the camp. By the way, that's 12 to 15 miles. In addition, two cubits deep, about three feet deep. Now, earlier in this podcast, we discussed another time when God sent quail. The first time was back in Exodus 16. It was a blessing. This time, it was a curse. The Lord's anger burned as they were gathering the quail and he struck them with a severe plague and they died. This was a warning for Israel. God needed his people to crave him, not stuff. If they were ever going to be a people that would make an impact for him, they needed to learn to seek him first before all else. So as we finish this podcast, let me ask you a question. What are you craving? What are the things right now that you are putting in front of the Lord? God's a good God. And yeah, he says, I'll give you the desires of your heart. But listen, the things you're looking at, if it's not him, you may think they're gonna be an amazing blessing. One of these days, you're gonna find out it was a curse. Crave the Lord, seek Him, pursue Him, and God promises: when you seek Him, He will give you the desires of your heart. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you have any questions, I would love for you to reach out to me on Twitter. It's at Arbel Ministries, or you can email me at rbellministries at gmail.com. I really appreciate you listening, and we'll do it again in the next podcast. Thanks.